Welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show, the program that shines a spotlight on positive real estate development and neighborhood revitalization in the city of brotherly love. Coming to you live from the G-Town Radio Studio on Maplewood Mall in Germantown. Here's your host, Alina DeLisser. Everyone and welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show. My name is Alina, and joining me on the show today is a very special guest, State Senator Art Haywood. Many of you out there know Senator Haywood very well, but for those of you who don't, here's a brief introduction. Art Haywood was raised by his mother, a public school teacher, and she enlisted the values of hard work and education within him. He's a graduate of Morehouse the London School of Economics, and the University of Michigan Law School. Before going into politics, Art practiced law at Community Legal Services with an emphasis on preserving and creating affordable housing. He also has done a lot of legal work representing organizations focused on neighborhood revitalization. So with that background, he's the perfect guest for a radio show about positive real estate development. Welcome to the show, Senator Haywood. How are you today? Good, good. Thank you very much for inviting me to your show. Great. Well, I'm really looking forward to this interview. Um, so, Senator Haywood, tell us a little bit more about your background. Where, do you gr- where did you grow up? Sure. I grew up in Toledo, Ohio. And um, as you said, went to Morehouse, LSE, and then Michigan Law School. My sister lived here for a number of years, and I visited Philadelphia uh, and made my decision to come here. Uh, shortly after, actually, almost as a year I was moving to Philadelphia, my sister moved. But uh, <laughs> I don't know if that was related or not. But in any event, I've uh, been in Philadelphia since 1985. And for many years, I lived right here in Germantown. Uh, I had an apartment on uh, Chelton Avenue, right at Chelton and Morris. And we, my wife and I bought a home, and we were at uh, 300 block of West Logan. So I'm very familiar with this area, having lived uh, in Germantown for part of my life. And uh, actually, I was a committee person at a Happy Hollow, so glad to be back. A lot of roots. Well, tell us, why, what made you decide to study law and become a lawyer? Was there uh, an event in your childhood that prompted you to do that? You know, when I was a senior in high school, they asked uh, on the uh, standardized test, what do you want to be? I had two choices either a DJ or a lawyer. Those are my two choices when I was uh, 17 years old. So um, obviously the lawyer choice became a lot more uh, productive. And steady, right? Yes. A steady game. Yes, yes, and a lot less entertaining, actually. But I've really enjoyed practicing law for many years. Basically what I focused on has been neighborhood re- revitalization, and that included representing organizations that were doing housing development, uh, some commercial uh, development, uh, Progress Plaza's revitalization, I was part of that. Ogans Avenue's revitalization, uh, I was part of that, and, and many others around the city. So preserving and creating um, affordable housing, revitalizing the neighborhoods, has been a, such a core issue for you both as a lawyer and as a politician. Why has the issue resonated so strongly with you over the years? 
I think in part my first job when I was a sophomore in uh, college was in Toledo and I worked with the uh, community development department. And in that role, I assisted in creating some affordable housing. Uh, and one thing I saw is that housing is a fundamental need. Shelter, just like food and medicine, is required to make it day to day. And when I was in Philadelphia, initially at CLS, there was a significant level of mortgage foreclosure. People losing their homes normally because uh, someone in the home had, was no longer there or some income left. The income left because either a separation or a divorce or the income left because someone lost a job. Or, or health that, issues. Yep. And yes. And that, even at that time, there were serious issues with uh, for, uh, the cost of health care. Um, so I think it was because of, uh, A, my first experience. And second, uh, over time, uh, seeing the real importance of having safe places to stay. I did make a step beyond that, beyond the housing, affordable housing. Um, and I think in the late 80s, I became to see that neighborhood revitalization includes housing, but it's more than that. It's the commercial development uh, of businesses, of places to shop. And I got to share with you, I've had one more big uh, change in terms of how I understand it. Uh, in this position as a state legislator, I've realized that it's not just the housing. It's not just the businesses, which are just the places but very much the people. And so we've got uh, investment in people strategy as well. Well, that's really interesting that you bring that point up because basically what you're saying is it's the building of a community. You know, uh, that's always been the knock on the suburbs is it's a place to live, but then people have to commute a, a distance to actually work or to find entertainment. Or So you're talking about having everything under in one community, people knowing that they have all the resources yes. within their community. As much as possible. I do think that the uh, way employment is distributed is that there's going to be a travel for employment in this region. Uh, there's a lot of tra uh, employment that's not in Germantown, and people are going to have to travel to it, uh, whether that's in uh, King of Prussia or downtown. Uh, so we do need a transportation system that can support our community, uh, and, and SEPTA is doing some, but could also do more. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We didn't discuss this uh, beforehand, but what are your thoughts on Amazon? Um, were you disappointed that Amazon decided not to choose this region, Philadelphia re region, as a headquarters? Um, Any opinion about yeah, that? Yeah, I would say I was slightly disappointed. Uh, I do believe that we in this region can create jobs. Uh, and we don't have to rely on an Amazon or some kind of major company to create the jobs that we need. I also was a little concerned about the types of jobs that would be created in terms of how they would fit my district. Um, I'm always interested in jobs, but there are, you know, some of these high-level skilled jobs require a skill level that we're still developing in our neighborhoods. And so... Um, I was somewhat disappointed, but I am, I'm still confident that through our own investments and encouraging entrepreneurship, uh, we can build jobs mm -hmm. ourselves. Good point. And in light of the recent news, it looks as though um, maybe Philadelphia has dodged a bullet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> With the situation up in New York. Yeah, and, they're pulling out yeah, of New York. Pulling out of New York, so not a good fit. Um, so talk a little bit about your district. Um, there might be some haziness among some of the sure. viewers in terms of, because I know you have part of Montgomery County, part of Philadelphia County. Yeah. So can you just kind of sure. give us the geographic boundaries? Yeah, I go from the Willow Grove Mall down to Alden Park. 
That's the best way to describe it. I actually even go over to Broad, to Broad and Alney. So in terms of neighborhoods, I've got Chestnut Hill, East Monterey, West Monterey, West Oak Lane, Germantown, and part of Alney. That's the Philadelphia side. And then on the Montgomery County side, I've got Cheltenham, Jenkintown, Springfield, and Abington. It's about uh, 245,000 people. Uh, it's a good district. Yeah, it's uh, America. Yes. I mean, you've got all different strata of you know, economic strata. Yes, and what I find is that people want the same thing. What they want is a place where the children can be educated. What they want is uh, good health care. What they want is uh, employment that's sustainable. And they want to have fun. Right. So um, turning back to Germantown, um, in your estimation, what are currently some of the most pressing issues facing this area, this neighborhood, as it pertains to neighborhood revitalization? So I see neighborhood revitalization, as I was saying, I've evolved to see it as a combination of people and places. And so on the people side, uh, we've got, uh, according to the Census Bureau, three quarters of the people in Germantown make less than 50,000, 50,000 in their households. And we got about 35% in poverty. So that's a high level, higher than the, the citywide rate. So the first thing I believe we need to do is get people more pay more money in their pockets. And that it can be principally achieved by raising minimum wage to $15 an hour. We get the minimum wage up, then what that will do for Chelton Avenue and Germantown Avenue, it means that people who are spending money will have a lot more money to spend at the clothing stores, a lot more money to spend at the restaurants, and they'll uh, be much better positioned to do home repairs. So that's the first thing we got to do is get money into people's pocket. Second, on the uh, people side, we got to continue to focus on education. Uh, education is a long-term investment, uh, whether that's with the mastery schools or the Philadelphia public schools. Uh, further investment in education is critical. On the place side, I'm very encouraged by the work that Jumpstart is doing, encouraging entrepreneurs to do uh, housing, multifamily housing, affordable housing. I don't think we can get Germantown Avenue into a strong position until we have more people, more people with money to spend. So looking at uh, producing housing on the streets adjacent to Germantown Avenue, I think is very important. Um, a big supporter of Germantown United, uh, we supported them with a, uh, helping them to finance the, the neighborhood plan that they've mm -hmm. done. Uh, I think they can be a leader along with what Jumpstart is doing. Uh, so I, I see myself trying to go alongside to support the efforts of Germantown United. And I think that's part of my role as well. Yeah, so with regards to the Jumpstart Germantown program, um, it is all about neighborhood revitalization. And I think a unique aspect of it is it's about empowering people who live in the community to revitalize the community. It's not outsiders. It's not people coming from Jersey to, to do rehab, fix and flip, um, filming it for <laughs> HGTV or something. Mm -hmm. So... Um, Talk a little bit more. What's your impression of how it's going so far? So I think it's going well. I mean, I've had some conversation with Ken uh, with the number of people who are enrolled. It's almost always oversubscribed. Uh, Ken, uh, my communications director, I understand, was considering uh, being a participant in the program. So it's been able to attract a wide range of people who have uh, creativity and interest. Uh, so I'm very encouraged by the ability to attract people who have the interest and give them 
experience, set them up with a mentor, have them understand the financing, all the steps that are involved. Uh, it's unusual. There's not uh, in every community that entrepreneurs have that kind of guidance. I think it'll go a long way to continue the redevelopment of Germantown. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And just to clarify for our listening audience, there are two Kens and what you what you just mentioned. That's Ken, right. Ken. <laughs> Sorry about that. So, so you want to clear that up for our yeah, audience? Yeah, so the, no, the no, first no. Ken you mentioned. That's Ken Weinstein. He's, he's a principal uh, organizer of, jump, of Jumpstart. And then there's Ken Alexander, who's my communications director, who's uh, right beside me laughing. <laughs> Ken and Ken. Great. Thank you for doing that. So um, talk about one of your recent accomplishments, the signing of Act 148 into law. Can you explain in simple terms what this law pertains yes, to? Yeah, and... I don't know what that number is. Oh, okay. But that's okay. <laughs> I don't follow it. Was it was in my notes. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. I, I can't assume bill numbers. I can't keep track of them. But what we were able to do is get uh, new requirements for testing lead in schools. Uh, across the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, there's uh, been no requirements for testing lead in schools. And as a result of what I saw in Flint, Michigan, uh, we were able That's to awful. get, yeah, Oof. we were able to get that required throughout the Commonwealth of, of Pennsylvania. So that was one tremendous accomplishment that we had last year. Uh, the second, and this is a two pieces of legislation I was able to, to move forward, was with respect to individuals who are victims of domestic violence. Uh, if you are in public housing, and you're a victim of sexual or domestic violence, as a result of this law, you can go to the housing authority, and they will make every effort to get you out of where the victimization occurred, either with a new unit or with a Section 8, uh, what used to be called Section 8 voucher. Um, and they can get you to another housing authority, may not even be in Philadelphia where you can be safe. Uh, and there are a number of things they can do to help an individual find a safe place to live. Uh, so we're glad we were able to get that uh, passed in Pennsylvania so that uh, we have a federal law that did something similar. Uh, but what we did is make the time frame. We shortened the time frame to 30 days in which this um, uh, move has to be made. So I'm very proud of both of those pieces of legislation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So once again, you know, housing is, is, is so core to a lot of uh, the issues that you're fighting for. Um, I heard that there was an experience that you had, a personal experience you had a few years ago, several years ago. How did you hear about that? So um, I think it was um, a person by the name of Ken who told me about this, but so, you're, you're a communications director. Yeah, so I used to work at the NACP Legal Defense Fund. I worked at the Legal Defense Fund uh, summer of my second year of law school. So I got good exposure to how to manage discrimination. Well, when we were moving from Germantown, out of Germantown in 94, 1994, we were looking at places in Sheltonham. I went to a realtor uh, during my lunch break, and first thing they said to me was, um, the unemployment office is upstairs. Oh, my God. I was not unemployed. Oh I, I got to tell you, I've been, uh, I've been working since I was nine. Uh, the second thing they said to me was, uh, we didn't order lunch out today. And I did have a bag. It was an Arby's bag. So I was either unemployed or delivery board. Of course, neither were accurate. Uh, eventually, they did show, uh, did show me. Did some respect. Yeah. I talked to an agent. Agent said to me, Mr. Haywood, there's so many houses that fit what you want. We can't show you any. I see what? your face. <laughs> what kind of Orwellian logic is that? Yeah, tough combination. 
So I said, okay. He gives me his card. He says he'll get back to me. He doesn't. Uh, there's testers, Montgomery County Fair Housing Center, and they uh, sent uh, white individuals who had the same kind of profile as I did, and they were shown houses. Uh, they showed a black person. They were not shown houses. One black person was shown a house, but it was on a block that appeared to be all black people on it. Uh, so we did end up suing. That's where my experience at the Legal Defense Fund helped me, and uh, we did win. Uh, now, that was a while ago. I don't want to say that the conditions in 2019 are exactly the same as in uh, 1994. Things do change. Uh, but um, I will say one thing about discrimination. It doesn't, the experience doesn't leave you. It's a stain. Yep. It's, a, it, it's, a, it's an emotional impact um, that remains which is really unfortunate, but it does remain. It's hard to, um, uh, it's hard not to have an emotional reaction every, uh, when I talk about it. Well, thank you for sharing that. Well, uh, switching gears, um, another thing I wanted to talk to you about today was the coming demographic tidal wave coming our way at a lot of cities and communities um, we're really not adequately prepared for. And I'm referring to the aging of the baby boomers, um, the growing population of the elderly. Um, you know, here's some, here's some stats that I found. Um, 10,000 baby boomers a day are turning 65 years old, and that number is expected to continue until the year 2030. And although men do get old, women get older, so women are living longer, but longevity has a lot of downsides for women. Uh, senior women are more likely t- than men to live alone, Senior women are more likely to experience poverty at a higher rate than men. And how that manifests itself in the community is we're seeing a lot of seniors, especially women, who are living in homes that need repairs and they don't have the resources to get them done. And I know that this is something that we see um, very plainly in Germantown, in this this neighborhood and in other parts of the city of Philadelphia. As a matter of fact, I, I heard somewhere that I believe Pittsburgh... And Philadelphia have some of the highest rates of seniors aging in place. Not everybody can retire to Florida. And a lot of people who have moved down south, when they get older, a health condition happens, they have to move back. They have to move back to live in with an adult child or whatever. But I digress a little bit. So talk a little bit about some of the initiatives that I know that you've spearheaded, that you've promoted and supported that are helping seniors to stay in their homes. Yeah, you're so right. Um I got to share, though, I'm part of the problem. I just turned 62 uh, a couple of weeks ago. But you can uh, throw a hammer, right? You know? <laughs> yes. But the, uh, the boomer population is a big challenge for our, for our state. Um, and we, we're having a, a big challenge in, in trying to manage the health care costs that are going up as a result of, uh, of the boomers. Um, but on the housing side, uh, what we've been able to do with the help of the Pennsylvania Housing Finance Agency is uh, obtain uh, $400,000 to help repair homes of seniors uh, so that they can stay in their homes. Now, we know staying in the homes is a lot better for most people if they can because uh, the nursing homes are not as comfortable for many people. And I, I got to tell you, the nursing homes are all a lot more expensive as well. But primarily, the people would rather be in their homes if they can be. So this home repair program, right now we're doing about 40 homes. Uh, we hope to do more in the years to come. If we can do 30 or 40 a year, that's about the financing amount we can get. 
Uh, but I think it's a very important initiative. I'm very fortunate that the uh, state was willing to work with me uh, to get the funding for uh, the home repairs. Um, we also provided more uh, financial support for seniors to stay in their homes uh, and through the state. And so I think, what does that look like when you say financial support? It basically means... It's like a subsidy? Yeah, or? Uh, it's basically paying for different kind of home care assistance. Oh, okay. Yeah, different home care attendants to come by. Um, again, it's a lot less expensive than nursing home and it's where people want to stay. But well, we have a long way to go. Yeah, we have a long way to go. So as, speaking from my own personal experience with my, my elderly parents, um, you know, the nursing home solution, it's become, uh, you know, uh, skilled nursing. Yes. It's really not, uh, it's really not for independent seniors. And so for a senior who really just, as you said, just needs some light assistance, somebody to check in on them just to make sure, you know, they're taking their, their medicine, checking their blood pressure, but they're still, they're still able to, um, go about their daily routine. Um, yeah, the, the nursing home and even the assisted living places, um, you know, the depression, you know, the issues that come from change and, you know, being in an environment where, you know, a lot of seniors feel like uh, they don't have any control. They don't yeah. have any control over their daily uh, routine. You're so being right. able to stay in the home, and these are homes that a lot of times the senior owns. That's right. They have equity. That's right. But and um, familiarity. Familiarity. And so, you know, the issue is... Um, particularly, you know, with the, the senior women uh, may not have the resources, may not have the knowledge on, okay, well, how do I, you know, get this fixed or how do I maintain this? So to be able to stay in the house, even a couple more years is hugely important. I can't agree more. Um, my sister cares for my mother, uh, who's 91 years old. Uh, in God her, bless her. Yep, in her home. Uh, it creates a tremendous challenge for the family. Uh, to provide the support uh, for the frail elderly. Uh, we do not have the proper system to support caretakers. Um, we have a recognition at a, some level what caretakers are doing, but not the real sacrifice that is made uh, on a day-to-day basis. I think we've got a really long way to go to support the in-home caretakers, um, not just in Philadelphia, but really around the state, we, we, we're, we're, we're not doing what we should be in that regard. So, um, we didn't talk a lot about this, but why did you decide to get into politics? Is it just, was it kind of just a way of amplifying your work as, um, in the legal profession? It was a mistake. Oh, <laughs> It's too late now. It's too late now. I was involved in the uh, 2008 Obama campaign. Okay. It was a tremendous campaign. Um, I and my wife did a lot of volunteering. Um, And as a result of the victory of President Obama, I saw that um, something positive could be done in government. I always had a low opinion opinion of politicians, um, and sometimes I still do. But... um, the Obama victory gave me an inspiration as to what could be done in government. And so I ran for a township commissioner in Cheltenham and then uh, won. I was president of the board. I think we did some positive things there. Uh, then ran for state senate. I think we've done a number of positive things in the state senate. And I'd be glad to share that. It's, it, okay, keep going. All right. <laughs> so 
Um, so we had a two pieces of legislation, uh, I think, that are very significant. Uh, we'll help people statewide in terms of protecting kids from drinking lead in schools, helping men, but mostly women, uh, from domestic violence, getting out of domestic violence in public housing. Uh, here in the district, we have had a summer reading program where we have provided summer reading opportunities so kids can read by fourth grade. So far, we've served up to 700 kids. That's great. Yep. We hope to get to 1,000 uh, this summer. So I've been extremely, I can't, I've been extremely proud of that. Yesterday, we had a gun violence prevention hearing at LaSalle, well attended. And we're going to have some, I think, real gun violence reduction, not elimination, reduction strategies uh, that we can implement based upon what we have heard. We served over 10,000 individuals who come into our office to help them with the problem solving that they have uh, need, with the getting assistance from the government, birth certificates, SEPTA passes. Uh, we've been able to get about $15 million, a little bit over $15 million worth of state grants uh, into the district for job creation and, and other projects. Um, and it, there's it's a, a lot. lot. Yeah, we've done. It's a lot. I'm very proud of what we've been able to do uh, in the last four years, and I'm confident we'll be able to do a lot more in the years to come. I just want to circle back to, I want to everybody hear that you started at the local level. Yes. When you decided to run, you, did, you didn't decide to run right off the bat. For, for state, state, for state no, no, <laughs> you know, no. there's so much, there's so much ego in politics now. People yeah. are like, Oh, I want to change. So I'm going to run for, you know, Congress. Well, yeah. come, you know, what have you done in your community? Start, start local. That's so important. Yeah, I Can think, you talk a little bit why yeah. local politics is so important yes. for people that want to serve? Certainly. Yeah. Even, even before the politics, I think it's important to be in a position of service, trying to make a difference in the community. Uh, fortunately, I was able to do that as a lawyer for, for 30 years, uh, helping with neighborhood revitalization projects and community change. Uh, I don't, I think it's very difficult to uh, appreciate what needs to be done without prior service. And so the community service helps you get a much better sense of what needs to be done and your role in getting it done. Um, I'm reading a book about four presidents, Johnson, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, and Abraham Lincoln. Now, I got to tell you, those presidents were extremely ambitious uh, and were shooting for the top early on. Um, so I don't know if there's a real formula for mm-hmm. leadership, mm-hmm. Uh, but I think working and having experience helping people uh, should be the foundation of going into uh, elected office. Yeah. Um, because the ability to see the challenges beyond yourself, critical. Exactly, exactly. That's interesting that you bring up those four presidents um, with uh, FDR. Um, when he contracted polio, it was that was like a turning point in his life for obvious reasons. But one of the things was I, you know, I need I need to serve I need to serve my my country. It generated so, the humility. Yes, yes, yeah, and that humility I think is uh, very important for for public service. I I agree with you. So, you know, there's a lot of cynicism among the public regarding the state of politics. You know, what's what's the solution to reversing the cynicism? I mean, how do you combat it? People see you out there in the community, so that's helping. But how do you how do we continue to combat the cynicism? Because civics feels like our civic society. Yeah, it's challenging. Yeah. Um, 
uh, on Monday, I was meeting with some uh, young people downtown, and I was introduced. We are supporting mentoring programs throughout the city. And this was a, a smaller mentoring program. And I was in, introduced as someone who's helping out so far. So far. So far. Okay. So there's a lot. That's an example of cynicism. Yeah. So people I don't are very, like. Yeah, I don't like the tone of that. Yeah. So how I did th- you how did you respond to that? How did you? I are, say I'm doing what I can. Okay. That's generally my response to. Uh, and generally speaking, if I'm doing something good, I'm doing what I can. If I'm doing something bad, I'm doing what I can. That's basically it. I would say that uh, the main thing we can do is get people to participate. In governing, the more individuals participate, the more they'll have a sense of the what it takes, the compromises involved, the sacrifices that are involved, and it's easy to be an armchair quarterback and criticize people who are making decisions. Uh, but I think the best way is to get involved, to it, which is to participate. Uh, not everyone has time to participate, but uh, that's the best way to deal with cynicism: work, work action so what's next on your agenda in the coming in the coming year or two what would you like to see happen in the next few years particularly in the realm of neighborhood revitalization so i think there's a few things i'd like to see uh on the participation side it is very important uh the elected officials can't do it alone and so we do need folks to uh be involved in the program we have which is citizen advocacy in fact i teach classes on how individuals can advocate to be successful in persuading legislators to make change. Oh, really? Uh, Tell us more about that. Where could people get information about that? So we have uh, taught the classes at Mount Airy Learning Tree a couple of times. Uh, I had a class at the uh, MLK Day at uh, New Covenant Church. Um, If any folks contact my office, they have a, a group of 25 or more. I'd be glad to come in and share the do's and don'ts, basically the do's and don'ts of talking to a legislator. That's great. In terms of going forward, um, I would say a few things. Number one, there's some places where we need to shop. Uh, These local businesses are not going to make it if we don't shop there because they need the money. And so I'm very optimistic about what's happening at Wayne Junction. I think we need to look at how we can support the business growth at Wayne Junction. Um, There's always complaints about business mix. They don't like the businesses in the area. Right, right, Let me say this. Uh, If we don't shop, if our money's not spent in a neighborhood, no business owner or chain is going to think it's a place to go. Exactly, exactly. If If the money is going to... Uh, Chestnut Hill from people in this area, eh, they're not uh, the business business owners are not going to think there's money here to spend. So right. I think supporting local business is something that I would strongly encourage. Um, of course, you know we got big challenges with the Germantown High School, Town Hall, the Y. Um, I don't have an immediate solution to those big properties. But I, I got to tell you, I'm very encouraged by the work of Andy Trackman and Germantown United and hope that I can support them in their efforts to conduct the, uh, the plan and, and come up with some solutions. Uh, you may not know, Ken Weinstein gave me a long list of projects to support. I'm not going to go over that list okay, today. Okay. But uh, we will look to support some of the um, uh, public, public development that I think needs to happen to support 
to private investment. That's great. That's great. Going back to the small uh, commercial uh, enterprises, I think maybe you know one one solution or one possible thing mm-hmm. that uh, would be really great if people could consider would be like a pop up a pop up retail. Um, I think I think they were doing that in some parts of Detroit, where basically it's kind of and it'll be an opportunity for entrepreneurs to kind of test out um, some some small retail ideas. Uh, you know, uh, a pop up restaurant, a pop up store that's only going to be there for a season, but the people in the community know that oh, okay, here's a rotating a rotating platform for for local businesses to showcase, uh, test drive an idea, and hey, you know, if it takes off, maybe that business would would put down roots. So, uh, yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned Detroit, uh, because uh, what that says is that, A, this Detroit is on a rebound. Oh, Detroit, extent, yeah. But it also says we can learn from Detroit, and we can learn from what other cities are doing. Uh, so I'm so glad you mentioned an experience outside of our own in this neighborhood that we can learn from and, and hopefully adapt and apply. Um, I think that approach is good. Uh, anything we can really do to support entrepreneurs is important. I do think we, ha- we have to recognize that about half of small businesses don't make it. It's rough. After mm-hmm. five years or so. So that churning that we often feel disappointed in is really part of the business uh, development. Uh, but I, I, think, I think that's exactly right. Uh, I also do want to share, though, that raising the impact of raising a minimum wage of 15 an hour. If you walk up and down uh, East Shelton, mm-hmm. East and West Shelton, uh, and Germantown Avenue, the stores that are there are consistent with having a population where 35% are in poverty. That's the shoppers. It's consistent with having those stores are consistent with 70, almost 75% of the population making under 50K. So we got to get pay up in order to get business up and the neighborhoods up. Right, right. So raising the minimum wage is not just for those making 15. If you are a supervisor and you make $2 more than the minimum wage, then you're going to 17. Right, right. If you make $5 more than the minimum wage, if you're making 12 now, then you should be going to 20. So there's a significant ripple effect, more than just the minimum wage earners. And for our neighborhoods, it will get money into our businesses and to our communities that is desperately, yes. desperately, desperately needed. needed. I mean, I agree with you, but I also believe that pushing entrepreneurship is also a solution. Because I think when people own a business, run a business, that provides an, another avenue for you know pers- per- personal growth for neighborhood growth. Um, so, But somebody's got to buy somebody's gotta what buy. the entrepreneur yeah. is selling. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, Senator, um, what are you most proud of since you've been in office? What do you hope will be your legacy? Well, I got to tell you, my orientation in life is really not legacy. Okay. And unfor- fortunately or unfortunately. Uh, but I can tell you some things that I uh, would be proud of we can leave behind. I'd be extremely proud if we can leave behind uh, over 1,000 kids who have improved their reading uh, from our reading program. I'll be extremely proud if our mentoring initiative can mentor hundreds of young people and put them on a path of opportunity instead of the path uh, to prison. Uh, I'll be extremely proud if we can get the minimum raise 
raise. People get some money for the hard work uh, that they are doing. So those are some of the initiatives where I think I uh, would feel that my decision to go into uh, politics was worthwhile. Um, I've lost a significant amount of money in this endeavor. My law practice paid a lot more than being a state senator. But uh, I do feel that if we can get some of those results, it will be well worth the decision. Well, we're at the end of what's been a very wonderful conversation. I thank you, Senator Haywood, uh, for coming in. It's been a pleasure talking to you and hearing more about the important work you are doing for your constituents. Would you like to um, share any information on how people can get in touch with your office or connect with you online? Sure, the office? sure. So first of all, the I wanna, best yeah, I want to thank you for allowing me on the show and, and to share, and I, I really appreciate that. I want you to know that. Thank you. Um, you can contact me at my office, 215-242-8171, or on my website. My website is www.senatorhaywood.com. Um, our office is nearby, right at Germantown and Mount Pleasant, uh, and we're glad to be a service in this community. Great. Thank you so much. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. That's all for now. But I'll be back next week, Friday at 10 a.m. with another interview. So until then, have a great weekend and I'll see you next time. Bye bye.